The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 53 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week, I'm sitting down with my good friend, Brian Wolf. Brian is currently teaching drum set at West Virginia University, and he's spent some time a couple years on the road with Maynard Ferguson. He spent some time on the road with David Byrne and St. Vincent and Sufjan Stevens, and many years working in the Dap Kings world, um, touring with Sharon Jones and Dap Kings. Um, so we sit down and talk about everything from how to build a college program to what he's practicing, why the Acrolyte might be the greatest snare drum ever made. And then we go through his top 10 soul records and the playlist that we go through at the end here, we will link in the description on the YouTube version of the show. I'm hearing some music I've never heard before and I'm super excited to share it with you and also to shed to it later on my own. Let's get to it. Brian Wolf. Brian, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I've been wanting to have you as a guest since the very beginning. Um, I've been a, a admirer of your playing since 1996 or seven. So thank wow. you for coming into the studio. It's great that we're neighbors here and we get I to know. hang casually. That's and sweet of you to say that. <laughs> thank you. I'm honored <laughs> to be here. I'm aware of uh, what other drummers have come to talk to you and yeah, I'm uh, humbled. Um, I was so excited when I heard you moved to Pittsburgh. It's great. Yeah, likewise. So um, let's start with what you're working on personally as a drummer. You got some goals and, and things you're trying to develop? Oh my gosh. Okay, wow. Let me think about this. Because I've thought about this before. Sometimes I've, when I take inventory of myself... I feel like I've been working on the same stuff for decades mm -hmm. and it's like, it's the same old problems. <laughs> and I know I've, and I've had periods of growth where I feel things start to click and I feel myself going in the direction I'm trying to go. I've been other, been other periods where I feel like I just can't shake these certain kinds of things. But what, what am I working on? Flow comes to mind. Mm. I look up to these drummers who can find the flow state and stay in it. Um, without interruption. You talking like an improv, improv, yeah. improv way? Yes. <clears throat> or, or, and it, I think I look at that with, uh, as a spectrum. Okay. You know, improvisational music or improvisation in music. Like as I'm sitting here saying that, I'm seeing the spectrum with like maybe Carlton Barrett over here, pattern and variation improvisation mm -hmm. versus like, I don't know, Milford Graves way over there where it's like, stream of consciousness or whatever. Mm -hmm. Those aren't maybe the best examples, but you know what I mean? Like there's lots of ways to improvise. Yeah. But just staying in a flow where it's conversational, but not disrupted mm -hmm. in any kind of way. There are drummers who come to mind who do that really well. And I want to be more like that. And, and regardless of what style I'm playing. How do you practice that? I, I think it's a mindset. Part, part of it I've thought about before is like, I've thought about like when you sit down at the drums, I know you've talked about this, you know, it's like you pick up the sticks, like from the first note, you're making music every time, every sound check, every rehearsal, every practice session. It's like, as soon as I touch the instrument, I'm making music and to think that way and mm -hmm. be mindful about everything you play and how one idea unfolds and connects to the next one. I have, I have a student who's reading Kenny Werner's second book or whatever. 
I know he had a second. There's book. a second one. I forget what it's called right now. My apologies, but like you know, and the conversation come up of, of something like you know, there's no wrong notes. You know, it's just like how you, how you, uh, what you do with what you just played next defines what it is, and and I love that idea and I totally understand what that means and it's a powerful statement and then the, my mind goes to like yeah but it depends on what you're playing and what style because there are times like no you played a wrong note I'm sorry yeah you and, know it depends I, on the know. parameters of the style you're working in but um that flow to just like not not question what you're playing in the moment to let it yeah. Let it just roll out. What happens when this happens to me often where I feel like I'm in the flow and then mm -hmm. I'll deliberately choose to play something and it's like everything gets scrambled. Yeah. Do you, do you have any techniques to get back, like back into it or? Hmm. I mean, like breathing is coming to mind, mm -hmm. you know, to, to actually <clears throat> think about breathing. Mm -hmm. Um, but right there, that's what we're not supposed to be thinking. Right, right, right. So it's, do you think about breathing? You know, to focus on breathing, I guess, to prioritize breathing, listening. Yeah. If you're playing with other people, listen more to them uh -huh. than yourself and find it that way. So yeah, the flow state is something I'm working on. And, and then over the years also, just like I would see videos of myself playing and just cringe at the, you know, tension. Mm. My face, my jaw, my mouth, my mm. neck, these areas where it's like in the moment, I'm just trying to play with soul and play with passion and play with fire or whatever. And it just reads as like, Hey, calm down, relax, man. <laughs> you know? And every now and then someone come up, come up to me after the game, like, Oh, just love watching your face. You're so intense. And I'll be like, this is the last thing I want to hear, you know, cause I just read it as like, fake expression <laughs> you know because i look at these other masters and they just there's just no tension in their body at all and and uh, i want to be more like that so yeah constantly assessing mm. the setup the configuration of the kid and how i'm sitting and then the snare drum tilt was a thing right when did you commit to that um uh let me think well to rewind i thought about it i, I switched to traditional grip my my dad's a drum, a drummer, professional mm. drummer, military drummer, and a music educator. And I'm coming up in the eighties. I started calling myself a drummer when I was 14. He puts the sticks in my hands, matched grip. Cause that's what you were doing back then. There was a mm -hmm. sense of like, why would you hold the stick two different ways? You can hold them this way right. and play all these different instruments and both hands are doing the same stroke, whatever. So I did that even up through like my first professional touring job. By the way, I know you had Dave Throckmorton on recently. Imagine yeah. your first professional touring job being like, here, take over Dave Throckmorton's <laughs> position in Maynard Ferguson's band. Here, learn the gig from these board tapes of him just destroying the gig. Oh, that's it how you so had hard. to prepare for it? Oh, yeah. Like the cassette tapes of him doing it. <laughs> I was like, okay, so try to do that. Okay. But, you know, even through all of that, you know, two years of Maynard Ferguson, match grip, whatever. When I came back from that, I hated my drumming. I hated myself. You know, you go through those periods mm. like, I just hate the way I sound. I hate all of this stuff. And admittedly, it was like Zig from the meters and Stuart Copeland even, you know, mm. the, the, like traditional grip or Charlie Watts even, even though I wasn't like raised in a Rolling Stones household, we didn't really appreciate the Stones growing up until later. But like, my point is, traditional grip not necessarily from a jazz angle 
Mm. You know, this idea that like traditional grip is like for finesse, right? Rock drummers play match grip for power. Like, I don't believe that or mm-hmm. see that. In fact, my, what drew me to tra- traditional grip was the opposite. The way you could sit in this comfortable state and like whip the stick and get all this power and torque, kind of like a pencil fight. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like you can pull it way back and let it rip. <laughs> right, right. And that's why I got into it. Okay. Um, you know, and, and I found that like when I switched, so this would have been like 2000. Two, when I switched to that instantly because I didn't have a lot of technique, like diddles and buzzes. And like, I felt like my drumming improved just because I was playing less superfluous stuff. Interesting. First of all, mm-hmm. like I, I had to retrain the left hand and get it caught up to the right hand. Mm-hmm. But um, at the time, and this is embarrassing and kind of silly, but you know, now Keith Carlock is turning heads in New York. Just saw the 55 bars closing. That's mm-hmm. sad. Right. But I would go down there a lot and watch him play just sit right there and listen to the drums with no mics and no muffling and just be blown away. And he was tilting the snare drum in that mm-hmm. traditional way. And I sort of started seeing a lot of people were, and I foolishly resisted the urge to do that. Cause I didn't want to just look like I was biting his style or whatever. Right, right. So I kept it flat and I said, well, if Steve Gadd plays both ways, he keeps it flat, you know, and just was like looking at these other drummers who played traditional grip without tilting the drum. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for a long time and then it's only been like maybe five years that I started tilting it hmm. and that just came from like fine like and I had toyed with it and just like wanted to do it and I believed in why this is ergonomically better mm-hmm. um, that you know the way the stick comes back off the skin you know the angle um, playing brushes watching like Joe Jones play brushes and the drum like it just was resonating with me and I was like knew you just do it. Mm-hmm. And then I would try and I'd be like missing rim shots and feeling terrible. Oh, as I say, this, like Daru Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he's got extreme tilt everywhere. Right. So I just gave up the hangups of somebody being like, oh, you're trying to do the Daru Jones thing or whatever, you know, <laughs> and just like, just trust the physics of it. Yeah. You Did know? it get more and more as you got comfortable? No, I'm still toying with it. And actually, to be honest with you, when it's, it goes straight away from me. Mm-hmm. And when I put my hands on this drum, that feels really natural. And when I play with brushes, that feels natural. And I've learned how to get my consistent rim shot that way. But like, if I technically get scientific with it, it probably should be more like, um, like Dan Weiss, maybe. You ever seen mm-hmm. Dan Weiss has his drum? Like a sling almost. Like a sling. Like the yeah. whole reason the grip exists, I guess. Right. And I've, and I'm constantly trying to make that feel good and find that. Cause like in my mind is like, technically that's the way the stick is going to be. And I think about it like if you play a stroke, like a accent stroke followed by some like low strokes, just watching the way the stick naturally moves in the rebound mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, like all that nerdy, like technical snare drum stuff that matters to me. Mm-hmm. It, but it's, it's in the interest of like efficiency of motion and setting yourself up for like after you play this stroke, what happens next? And is, is, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I do think about this a lot and I'm always like open to trying and find a better way, but I have to kind of balance that with like, just pick one and just get in there and like repetition and, and, you know, but especially like we're talking about like, you know, you're playing four hours of dance music or something when you're like in the trenches on a Saturday mm-hmm. working <clears throat> and I don't get pain or like fatigue and that traditional grip backbeat just feels good to me. And so like, you don't like wear out your cuticle or anything? No. Ah. No. And, and I'm also not, 
I have a couple different, like I don't squeeze the stick with the fingers on that. It's like if you see it in slow motion, it's kind of just in the thumb sling mm. and it's coming down hard, but all the energy just dissipates as soon as the stick lands, you know, so... Wow, this is what we're talking about. What did you even ask me? <laughs> what you're working on. That's perfect. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm working on the stroke, <laughs> playing a stroke. So I've got a little bit more of a, a, a philosophical follow up to that, uh-huh. which as you were talking made me think of it. I've hit a lot of plateaus in my technique and things um, that I kind of am having to accept that maybe it's just not going to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. certain speed things and yeah. stuff. Uh-huh. I think accuracy, there's a tolerance that your nervous system can only go so far. Okay. You know, I think. Yeah. Like, that's why some people can be surgeons or, you know, precise sure, sure. illustrators. Um, is there anything you've plateaued on where you're like, okay, that's where it's going to be. Let me focus on <laughs> some other stuff. Yeah. Man, this is, it's, uh, yes. So, I feel, again, I feel embarrassed about this. You know, <laughs> Mr. Professor, you're supposed to be good at all this stuff. And it's like some of the things that I struggle with are things that like my, like some of my young students can do way better than me. <laughs> this mm. is like, but I'm, I'm thinking about two things. Just like, you know, just bass drum pedal technique stuff. Two notes in a row, three notes in a row, that kind of stuff. All that kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. I want that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really want all that. And there's a, and I've been like systematically working on getting better at that. And it doesn't seem to come like the other things have, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then you get in there and you like systematically look at like how your pedal's set up and how, you know, and, um, I was talking to my friend Bill Campbell, who's a great drummer. Um, and somehow it came up. He was like, said that in, Jojo Mare's second video or something, he talks about the BPM of the spring tension. <laughs> like, like he has an optimum BPM. So I'm saying this, I've never looked it up. I, ne- I should look it up before I'm talking about it. But like, you can like push your pedal and like the spring when, right, when the right. pedal's just moving, he like said like, you know, like something like 110 BPM is like the optimum, you know, or something like that. Sure, I was like, wow, okay. I've never thought about that. <laughs> like watching the pedal spring tension, you know, with my students, it's more just like, Set it in the middle and yeah. play it. Now, keep track of your increments as you move up and down until you experiment, until you find your sweet spot or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, I'm sure that has something to do with it. But then again, it's just like the, my leg, my muscles, my ankle, like the whole. S- and I've thought about this before. Like, maybe I'm, maybe I just one of those players that plays less notes on the bass drum because that's what I was born to be. I'm always removing notes. <laughs> you know, when I, uh, when I interviewed Steve Jordan, I asked him about his bass drum technique. Mm-hmm. Because when he was younger, he played a lot of notes. We were, we were talking about that Blues Brothers record, and he absolutely mm. hates it. He's like, he, wow. he's so embarrassed by the way he plays. He? He's like, I played so many notes. And he said, I, he said he tore his ACL, never got it fixed. Wow. So he, he just can't play that many notes anymore. So you don't. So he does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's like some Zen master style thing. He's like, no, I just can't or whatever. I can't do it. That's funny because that's the first time I heard about Steve Jordan, my dad listening to music, Blues Brothers album. I remember Hey, hey Bartender. It's a yeah. shuffle, like a triplety shuffle. Spastic. Yeah. yeah. Sick. Yeah. Really <laughs> sick fills. And just, I was like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. You know? And it's like, Steve Jordan. It's like, who's that? <laughs> when he was like 18, 19. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He pl- they play Soul Man mm-hmm. and like he does his kind of own thing to it. I think yeah. I've heard him talk about that a little bit, you know, yeah, or at least was- he's, I'm sure he's revisited like, but whatever. It's like so many sh- notes. Yeah. You should be like going for it when <laughs> right. you're that age, whatever, you know, man, this is totally going in a different direction, mm-hmm. but when you're learning 
these classic songs for gigs, mm-hmm. how true do you feel like you have to stay to the original? Or do you like seek out live versions and see what, what we've done with it? You mean for like cover bands, private yeah, party bands? Yeah, you're going to play some yeah. James Brown or something. I yeah. mean, do you, do you tend to stay with the original? Like, let's say um, I feel good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a oh, million man. versions of that song. Yeah. Would you stay right, to the so, record? Uh, you're asking me here today, so I'm going <laughs> to tell you for me. Yeah, I'm full on original recording. I prioritize that uh-huh. for a bunch of reasons. Um, if you're playing with other people and you haven't rehearsed, like it, that's option anxiety right there. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. But I also like the original, mm-hmm. and I kind of like hate it when people like butcher those kind of classic songs. Like I, I like that it's just cross stick. I like that, you know, the pattern is the pattern and, and the little gestures that he plays to get from here to there. But that can be a trap too, mm-hmm. because it's like you're chasing, trying to recreate a recording. Everybody else you're playing with has to also be into that. So you have mm-hmm. to be malleable. You got to stay loose enough that <clears throat> it can flow and everybody feels good mm-hmm. you know because sometimes it can just like feel terrible when you're like mr purist like <laughs> fighting for like well that's not what he played on the original like, yeah. so what <laughs> here we are let's do it and it's funny as you said that i thought about the spectrum in my own life of like just weekend warrior you know playing a wedding in a country club somewhere like like not some cool artistic gig just like work mm-hmm. and and the mindset there and then also like you know you know, one of the last things Dap Kings did as a unit when I was with them is like we back John Baptiste for a whole summer playing all these festivals and we back a bunch of singers and we find ourselves doing covers like, okay, we're going to do all these songs today. And then, uh, you know, we're going to play this song with Mavis Staples and then we're going to play this song with, you know, uh, Leon Bridges or whatever, like whatever. It's just like you're backing artists mm-hmm. and, and we're covering songs. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you're with a crew that is into the details like that, it's like, you just play like the record. Mm-hmm. Just get in there. So what did they play? Play that. Right. <laughs> and it's like you do that with conviction and it feels right. Like that, that's not like to me, like, um, you're not being artistic by mm-hmm. doing that. It's case by case. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'd be like, we're not going to chase this. Let's just do something completely different. Um, What's my point? How, like you're asking, do I stick close to the record? Yes. I obsess over the details on the record first as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like I'm growing and learning by doing that. Right. But it comes natural to me. I don't have to force myself to do that. I want to do that. I like doing that. Mm-hmm. And then I loosen up. And, and the more you do it, the older you get, the more experience you get. You can get with people and be playing and know that everybody here knows five versions of this. And we do know the live version and, um, Mm-hmm. See, that's my association with the Dap Kings, like filling in for Homer and like being the touring drummer led to me being on all these, a lot of cool gigs where sometimes we were playing like with like these like old soul artists that made amazing records and like influential recordings and some, some Coney Island gig where, uh, it's not the Dap Kings, but just like, you know, some of the extended family or whatever. We're, we're backing Archie Bell and we're playing the Titan up and, mm-hmm. and like, you know, there's a drum break and, and it's like, I just make the decision. I'm going to play the like James Brown drum break here instead of the original. And afterwards it's like, yeah, man, I never liked the one on our recording. That's the cool, you know, so it's like at that point you're a few steps inside yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like, yeah, I know the original, but I also know, 
the others. Yeah. And not that I'm like being like, I'm so in the know. It just comes with time, you know? And how many times in my life did someone be like, oh, you've never heard this? I can't believe you never heard this. Listen. And you're like, oh. And you start making these connections and it just keeps adding up over time and you can't speed it up. But, um, yeah, I like, I like getting into the originals. I just saw, it's an old interview with Clyde Stubblefield, but mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it before. And they asked him about Funky Drummer. Mm-hmm. The first thing he says, oh, I hate that song. Yeah. And then for him to crazy. demonstrate the beat, he doesn't know what he played. So the version yeah. that he has played on video, yeah, not even close to the master yeah. recording. So for the guy to say, I hated that song, and I don't even remember what I played. Yeah. <laughs> this thing that everybody obsesses <laughs> over and <laughs> <Right>. chases. <laughs> I know. It's it's crazy. I feel like this. I had the same thing with actual <clears throat> proof. Mm. You know, Mike Clark, uh, his, you know, it's like, He's going to demonstrate the beat he played on actual proof. I'm, I was kind of like, no offense, sir, but you sure that's what you played? Like, that doesn't sound, you know what I mean? Which uh, to me just meant like, I'm not thinking about a beat on that song. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. it's a style. I'm, I'm you know, um, yeah. To see yeah, a funky drummer, I've obsessed over like, no, you opened the hi-hat on the E of two there. I'm pretty sure or whatever it is. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, I know what you played, but yeah, he's not thinking in those terms. Yeah, I don't even know if they ever played that live. That's a good one to, to look into. Oh, here's another one. Johnny B. Good. Mm-hmm. Do you swing it or do you just play it straight so no one gives you the stink eye? I, I think I, that's a cool question because I love the original drums on that and like what's happening there. Yeah. And that's another, we talked about this earlier, like a groove. It's like, it's not just the drummer's responsibility to make a groove feel good. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a collective effort. We're all in this together. And there you go. Like the drums are doing one thing. The guitar is doing another. The subdivisions add up to something special. Mm-hmm. When that gets called in like a private party band or whatever, I kind of split the difference. Oh, okay. I, I actually, here we go. Right now. Um, <laughs> a, a pattern that I found useful is to play like and two and and four and in the left hand. Uh-huh. And then you can play like a swing beat in your right hand. And then you got like all the eighth notes. Uh-huh. You accent the two and four in the left hand and your right hand plays ding, 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 ding. Left hand goes, and you can kind of like just ride the fence in between both. And if the guitar player's going, playing real straight, you can you can do it in a way that kind of gets at that without freaking too many people out. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Jordan, that that uh, Chuck Berry documentary, yeah, that, with uh, Keith Richards. He's got like a little symbol, yep. And there's so many of those songs where it's like the, the guitar's just straight eight, and he's just like ding 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 ding, and it feels amazing. It's kind of like a red ride. It's like a color sound or something. That documentary is so good. Yeah, the bit when. When uh, Chuck Berry tries to change the key when they're on stage, and mm-hmm. Keith Richards is just like, "No, mm-hmm. we're, not, we're not changing yeah. the key." <laughs> I know. <laughs> to see Keith Richards be the straight man, yeah, was just shocking. To yeah, me. <laughs> the part that makes me hurt. <laughs> Sorry, we're off topic. Is it's like they bring up Julian Lennon, and you know, there's like a, a history of, of you know, well, whatever. And like afterwards, I think maybe I'm made this up, but I feel like Chuck Berry's like. Give it up for John Lennon. I mean, Julian Lennon, you know? And I just like, oh. But then he leans further into it. He's like, don't he just look like his paw? Don't he look like his paw? And everyone's cheering. And I'm like, oh, that just hurt me so bad. Oh, sorry. Why am I he talking about that? must have been a trip. He must have been a trip. Yeah. <clears throat> Band leaders. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Johnny B. Good. Johnny B. Good. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's shift into um, 
And you just, you and Risa, how many years ago did you take over the WVU gig at this point? Uh, 2016. So it's been a number of years. I think 2016. Is that when we moved? So you've seen yes. students go through the whole four years now. Yes. So you brought in students and finished them. Yes. Quote unquote. Yep. Uh, when I, it's kind of cosmic. I, you know, you, you and I both went to West Virginia University. Mm -hmm. I was there a little bit ahead of you. So like, and my dad was taking me to those concerts from the time I was a kid, Phil Faini and his like percussion department and his approach. And like, it was everything to me mm -hmm. from the time I was a kid. I was bootlegging the concerts on a cassette in my jean jacket and listening to them in my bed in high school. <laughs> nice. Like, like this, the dorkiest thing ever, but that's where I was at. And, um, Al Rubleski was the drum set teacher. Um, and, uh, I cared deeply about like all of that mm -hmm. being from West Virginia and all that. So I was offered the job to take over when Albert Lesky was leaving, uh, by the director of jazz studies, or I wasn't, I was approached. Mm. And initially it was like to come down from New York a couple times oh, a month like or a something. Visiting. Yeah. Sort of thing. Like, like they didn't even know we were in the process of moving to Pittsburgh. So mm -hmm. it felt cosmic in that sense. And I felt really thankful for that mm -hmm. because I had a lot of fears and anxiety about like leaving New York after 17 years and, no offense to Pittsburgh. Truth is, I've grown so much as a drummer, having lived here in Pittsburgh now this time, partially because of my university job, but mainly just there's so many incredible drummers here. And I'm, and I'm just like inspired by them and and uh, playing more jazz in a good way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, yeah, because you didn't try to do the New York jazz scene. No, mm -mm. for whatever, lots of reasons. But yeah, I found myself playing jazz on occasion up there. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd be like on a cocktail hour at like some fancy private party with players who were doing the heavy jazz lifting in mm. New York and, and you know what I mean? But no, I wasn't out there doing that. I mm -hmm. was in different scenes, but my point is like to be offered that job and step into it and have this new thing to really focus on and get serious about and try to build and, you know, just financial stability of an adjunct like supplemental income. Mm -hmm. It's not a ton of money, but it's, it helps, mm -hmm. you know, and you, you balance that with playing and touring and recording. And it's like, wow, I can be more selective now about mm -hmm. what I'm saying yes to. But to be honest with you, all of that pales in comparison to like the opportunity to grow as a teacher and like actually build a program and, and get serious about a curriculum. That's what you were asking me about. Like, it's yeah. like well, what are we going to do here? Yeah. What are we going to teach? Did you have any like charges and directives or was it just you build it? My, uh, my two bosses are like George Willis, the like, like director of percussion studies. My, I call him my orchestral colleague. You know, mm -hmm. he's, he's the orchestral player and, and he's in charge of the department. And then the, I have one foot in the jazz department too, Jared Sims. He's in charge of the jazz department. So it's like I, I've served those two things at the university. Mm -hmm. So like I have to like, you know, make sure the students are thriving in those two, um, areas. But, but, and also think about like what's happening when they leave school and, and mm -hmm. like their like long term tra trajectory as musicians and all of that and as people. Mm -hmm. Um, but both of those bosses, those are like my direct bosses, let's say. They've been like super supportive and just like, yeah, do, do, do it. And then they'll give me guidance as we go, like, mm -hmm. th you know, or like suggestions. Um, but no, it was pretty much just like figured out. Mm -hmm. In a good way. Um, admittedly, cause I, you know, I wanted to do a good job and it's like, I, 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 res I've thought about programs that I do respect. 
you know, North Texas and, and Berkeley and or whatever, and Manhattan School of Music. And, and, uh, I even remember looking, cause I started to look, what do they do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just want to see. Some of it gave me like good guidance and affirmation. Some of it was like, ew, that's mm-hmm. what they do. I don't want that. No. Um, you know, some of it was like made me more confused. You know, some of it was like helped me be like, no, I'm going to trust that I think if I just ask myself, what should these students be working on? That it's going to come together properly. Mm-hmm. And it's a work in progress, constantly changing. Um, but yeah, just, you know, I could talk about this for a long time. So yeah, maybe yeah. I, I need some direction here, you know. Well, but <laughs> I love that you actually have books. So is it every year you kind of refine this? Yes. Or how many years in the making is this Since course from, number one? Well, from the time I started, I was just like making handouts. Got started to get my Sibelius chops together. Um and, and it's not an arrogance thing. It's not like there's there's a million cool method books, but they I just like I don't know this this balance between um, if I'm honest about what I've seen a lot of it's just like in collegiate drum set programs and studies. There's so much like um, uninspired kind of like hoops to jump through that don't really connect with like what people want from you out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Like trying to balance that with like. Um, artistic expression and like possibilities so so really like this is extensive dude man i've been working on this like crazy from the time (laughs) i started from the time i started teaching and and it's like like anything you go back like some of the first students i want to be like hey i want to apologize because i have no idea what i was talking about back then but now Mm -hmm. i got it you know check this out you know it's like it's i'm growing and learning so everybody gets a copy of this? Well, it depends. Okay. It depends. So I'm all over the place right now, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an attempt to, <laughs> as a working class drummer is how I see myself. Mm-hmm. My dad was too, you know, in the sense of like, like if artist is over here and like working class drummers are here, my dad was definitely more towards the working class thing. This idea of like, what does this person need from me? Mm-hmm. What does your music need from me? And right. I'll provide that for you. And if I do a good job, you'll call me back. Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. It's like end of story. Service provider. Yeah. Service provider, you know, versus like, who am I? What mm-hmm. am I trying to say on the, on the drum set? Mm-hmm. I value both of those things and I try to strike a balance. But these, you know, these students are in college. So I do have to be like, I want them to get out in the world and be functional. Mm-hmm. But like music's always changing, so you have to be careful. Like, what are you chasing? I remember when I was in school, and they were just they just were trying to take care of me. You know, Albert Blesky, God love him, was like, you got to learn your bolero and your foxtrot yeah. and yeah, your and, and and it was real yeah. because it's like you know because you're gonna get out there and you're gonna do your ballroom dancing gigs. Yeah. It's like there's no way that we can talk about that now. It's like maybe that's true, but no, not anymore. There's like all these other things you have to be able to do, but I don't want studying the drum set at W to just be like, here's the things you need to do. I also want it to be like, what are you here? Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, try to leave space for innovation and rule breaking and creativity and ima- imagination, you know? So let's say a student comes in freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, Orcs Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. 
From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Say they're just eating this up, like burning through it. Yes. And you know, like, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. When do you go off book and say, well, let's go? Well, can, let me, let me say this. And, uh, when I started, it took some time. Uh, you know, you're, you're building a program. It's not just me. It's a whole combination of things. Mm-hmm. But like, um, in the beginning, there, there, some, sometimes I'd get frustrated because I'm like, these students aren't moving through this at the rate that I think they should be moving through this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've been hungry for that. And the truth is in the past couple of years, it's like, oh, there they are. There, there, that's, that is the rate at which I imagined when I started putting this stuff together. Mm-hmm. And I have students now coming in that are really focused and serious and, and devouring the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting. Not like robotically devouring it, just like really understanding like, oh, I understand what this is. Let me go put in the work, come back. I see them do it. I'm like, great. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And, and I can start to see a better like eight semester trajectory. Whereas I struggled before feeling like I wasn't, I was, I wasn't, it wasn't as focused. And every now and then my bosses lovingly would be like, you know, well, if you got to move them through some more concepts, I know you want there to be a certain level of ownership. That's the constant thing you're worried about is like, am I exposing them to enough? But I also want to make sure they actually have a hold of these things. Cause that's another thing I notice about collegiate drum set programs all the time. It's like a lot of people playing a lot of hard stuff poorly. And skipping over the the basics that actually matter and all that kind of stuff. Or like not really understanding that, I hate to say it, but this is a repetition game. Mm -hmm. You will need to do this over and over and over and over again. And like, but there's just a certain level of ownership I'm looking for. Can you hold it? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be super fast. Doesn't have to be blazing. Can you hold it and make a good sound? Get a good sound out of all the parts. Get the parts balanced. Get the phrase can you hold this phrase and play with it? Mm-hmm. If so, let's move on. Cause I'll know then you can run with that and spend your whole life right. trying to perfect that, but we can move on to this next thing. Whereas in the beginning, I'm like, we're not moving on to that till I see that you can do this. And it's like, well, yeah. the semester's almost gone and we covered two things. And I would have all this anxiety about that. Like I'm doing the students a disservice, you know? I had the same thing. I feel once you know what it takes to be of mm-hmm. a level, I have a hard time saying, that's good enough. Yeah. Because I know when you leave here, you're no longer a student. Yeah. You're competing with yeah. Brian Wolf for work. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, <laughs> Aim you higher. You know, if you can't really play that right. Sure. So, I, I, I struggle with like, when do I let them, because mm-hmm. you got to mature. You also can't force it. I, I, right. I know when I was in college, I couldn't hear tempos with any kind of sure, confidence, sure. you know, so, or subdivisions you, with any kind of clarity. Yeah. You, you try to help them. And, and and it is a righteous balance that you're trying to find. Mm-hmm. And it's worth uh, stressing over, exposing them to enough stuff, but making sure they have ownership of the stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm saying is when, when students started coming in who, who, and like, I really try to be like, this is my thoughts on this. I, you know, I'm 49. I've been playing, making my living playing drums since I was 19. So there's a point where like, Brian, stop like second guessing yourself. You do have some <laughs> uh, experience that you can say, no, I'm quite certain that this, yes, it's this, not that. 
Yeah. You know, yep. I promise you. <laughs> so if you do this, you could get to this and I'm still working on it just like you, but let's do it together. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's when it feels right to me. But my point is like, you know, when I'm working with students who they, you feel that it's resonating and, and they go away and they work on it mm-hmm. and they come back and like, Oh, there it is. Sometimes these are like really incredibly talented students. Sometimes they're just like hard workers. Mm-hmm. I tend to, you know, admittedly gravitate towards the ones that are hard workers, the super talented ones. I'm like, you'll figure this out on mm-hmm. your own. I'm hel- I'll still help you. But like, I kind of root for the ones that are just like slugging it out, you know, but, yeah. um, what was my point? Oh, but now, I am at the point where I do have students devouring this stuff and then I can step back and sort of see the trajectory and it's like, oh, cool. That means probably by like pretty soon we're going to be able to get in these John Riley texts. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon we're going to be able to get into this Daphne's Prieto book. Pretty soon we're going to be able to get into this, uh, you know, other texts that I do value, that I do think are important. It's not like, it's not an arrogance thing where it's like, oh, I'm going to write my own books because these others aren't valid. I, I, they just resonate more with me because I'm just a little more hands-on and it, and it unfolds in a way. And as you can see, like, it's this oversimplification, but based on my job dealing mm-hmm. with percussion department and the jazz department, there's kind of like two tracks. And I, it's the best I could do for now, backbeat fundamentals and jazz fundamentals. You know, So every student, regardless of their entry level, plays through these? Not two? necessarily. If you, if you come to the school and like you're a jazz major. By the way, this is always also changing too. We're mm-hmm. constantly trying to tweak how this works, but we're working on it. If you come to school and it's like, oh, I'm a jazz major. There's all these different things that you do. And, and so I instantly prioritize what we do on the drum set in like the jazz world. To be able to play with the big band. Yeah. yeah I got to serve the department. They yeah. got to, you know, yeah. and that's where like my colleague, Dr. Sims helps me. Cause like, he'll, I'll get an email. Nobody knows how to play a two feel. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, the, the packet has a little series about what, is a two feel. Mm-hmm. How do you play in two? Like, why do you play in two? And all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, it's like, it's like, oh, nobody can play like, or, or like, you know, nobody can play like a swingish bossa nova. Like, not some like strict hardcore Brazilian bossa nova, like a jazz hybrid bossa yeah, nova. Billy like, Higgins, okay, yeah, yeah. Boom. I got something to like, thank you. The okay. more, the more parameters you give me, like, then I can be like, okay. And then that gets put in there. And, and you know, um, and that's for jazz majors. That's for jazz majors. You know, it's just like, so I'm like, the, the curriculum is a mixture of like what the department is telling me the students need and what I actually think is important. And, and oh, I go, that one gives me more anxiety mm-hmm. because I feel like less qualified to speak on like jazz. <laughs> you know, it's this revered thing. And it's like, there's so many different ways to go about it. It's like the, the term itself and how you define it. And yeah. Like, but the best I can do right now is to try to go chronologically, you know, mm-hmm. and get them playing very traditional time with like feathered quarter notes and, and uh, straight what I call orthodox ride cymbal playing. And it, it really boils down to like keeping time on the cymbals and the hi-hat over in this camp. And then over here, it's like kick, snare, hi-hat and beyond over there. That's, mm-hmm. that's the way I kind of break it up, which is an oversimplification, obviously. But it's a way to at least get the two tracks going. So that would be what music, music majors or performance majors. We got music industry too. So like sometimes oh, there's okay. like people who are like, I'm in music industry, but I identify as a drum set player. You mm-hmm. know? And uh, I, I have a crushing student right now who is that a music mm-hmm. industry person, um, and she's she's got the goods. <laughs> you know, it's like when she when she plays drums, I'm like, yeah, that. That's what people want out in the world. The way you're hitting the snare drum, your pocket, your backbeat, your balance between the parts, your flow, 
that, you know, it's like, and then it's like, okay, cool. Ghost notes. And we start moving the backbeat around. Then all these different hi-hat variations. Then like what I call like backbeat or like ghost notes with bass drum counterpoint, mm-hmm. you know, like how it all, it just, it just keeps, we just keep upping the ante, then odd meters and, you know, and, and that's all just like in the groove position. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I tend to like prior yep. to, to compartmentalize it like that too. Like there's so much work you can do in the like, whether it's ride cymbal, snare drum, bass drum, or hi-hat, snare drum, bass drum, like just the groove playing with those three voices and ghost notes, accents, and all the different hi-hat variations. That's, that's sort of one thread. And then it's like, okay, let's get around the kit. Mm-hmm. And like again, that physical pro- motion, physical motion, like combination between your hands and feet. You know, those are like different threads. Mm-hmm. But again, see, it's like, that's, a, I thought about this too. It's like the program is n- always going to be a reflection of my interests, even when I try hard not to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to just teach them the stuff that I think is cool, you know, and, and student, and one of the things that helps with this is every lesson starts with a listening assignment. And, uh, and each week I write two names on the board and try to make them from drastically different musical realms. Mm-hmm. And the students go away, they research those two drummers and they bring in one recording. And we listen to that recording at the beginning of the lesson. And, and sometimes it's stuff I've never heard or, or whatever. And, and I try to use that as just like a wrench to throw in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the listening assignment becomes the lesson that day. And like we'll extract stuff or transcribe stuff. And other times it's just like we listen to it and experience like the joy of drumming. Or we might be like, yeah, I, I think that sounds terrible or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Let's right. get to work now. You know, but it starts with like listening to drums and getting excited about drumming. Yeah. Um, but my point is like, that'll have me listening to stuff that I don't necessarily listen to in my own life or have it prioritized, mm-hmm. but it's, it's kind of inevitable. I've thought about this. Like, like I worry sometimes like I'm not teaching any two bass drum pedal stuff. I'm not, you know what I mean? It's like, I haven't used more than two toms in 25 years. <laughs> I don't even have a third. Like I'm like, eh, you know what I mean? And yeah, but that's so there's no new breed studies going on. Yeah, yeah. And am, am, am I, Am I shortchanging them? You know, it's like, uh, there's stuff that I don't get excited about and it's not there. But the idea is that the curriculum gets all the building blocks in place that they can take it anywhere they want. Mm-hmm. Ideally, that would be great. And, and that there's enough of a, like, I do try to create it. So there's a thread that connects it to like whatever style you want it to be, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I was thinking about this with like the way I prioritize, obviously, timekeeping whether it's jazz, the jazz thread or the backbeat thread. It's like, that's part of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. I was like, my father was a great drummer. It's like, once you get that groove feeling good, stay there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you going to go for a fill? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> you better make it count. You better get back to that one or it was not worth it. I'm not saying I subscribe to that. In some ways that can be really, um, that's not necessarily the best way to be. You should be fearless. Go yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. Drop the one. Drop, you know, screw up the whole thing if it means you tried something. What and you, a good And you went point. for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I was a little, I grew up, admittedly, a little bit afraid of that. And I think it comes through in my playing sometimes. It's like this, you know, this. there's a righteous feeling there of like, no, this groove is so important to me that I'm not moving. Mm-hmm. I'm not going for that fill. What if I disrupt the feeling that we have here? It's like, man, disrupt it. Who cares? Yeah. Go for it. I mean, like, I think, uh, it, you know, but superstition would be a case in point. Like, he's mm-hmm. all over the place. Oh, Lord, track. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his fills are like, you would fire your drummer yeah. if they played like Totally. That. There's no rules. <laughs> you can make it work. For sure. That's my point that, like, it can be harmful. 
to go too far in that direction. Yeah. But I also had mentors like that too. It's like once the groove is feeling good, basically they don't want to take the time for you to figure out how to like take chances. Mm. We don't have time for you to figure this out. So it's like, you're a young player and the groove's feeling good. Just stay there, man. Don't, don't go for your stupid fill that you've been practicing that nobody cares about. Play this groove so that my guitar part feels good or my bass line feels good. I don't care about your dumb fill. Does that ultimately a reflection of just who we are as individuals? You know, if you're a fearless person, I mean, we, we mentioned Throckmorton. Yeah. I, I think he's one, he can take chances and it's always right. And then, yeah, I think for me, if I'm just trying to keep it, everyone yeah. know, comfortable. I've thought about this. It's like, is it self-loathing and fear-based? Is it really unhealthy? That, or is it a righteous um, ethic of like, no, I'm just going to... this. And I mean, it's, it's a mixture of all that, I think, you know. I mean, would you, like, let's say someone said, man, take some chances. Mm-hmm. Would you feel like you were putting on some sort of effect by doing that? Or would you be like, cool, let me just go for it, it. it i know what you're saying like it's case by case i mean it happens to me like in my life now you know it's like there's certain areas where i feel and and sometimes it's like i just need to know that like give me a minute just give me a minute like let me find my footing in this mm-hmm. like if i just start trying to spew improvisational stuff without like sort of establishing the rules of the feel i'm playing or, or this thing we're in mm-hmm. i'm thinking of like some outro my friend anton's music's like okay now blow over this outro uh, admittedly i started getting anxiety like i can uh, the, the tune feels great the groove feels good i know how to do this now oh you want me to like express myself and Noodle. like create <laughs> it's like oh no yeah i get a little bit a little bit scared and like oh geez but i go for it and i try to like create something and let it unfold naturally and be uh-huh. be me not just like what I think I'm supposed to play here. And, um, it's a, yeah, being a drummer has a certain, in my experience, expectation from, from a non-musician, like show offy, yeah. like the show offy oh, yeah. drummer thing. Yeah. Which I, that was, I remember my dad telling me that early on, like, man, you just, you, you look, you're making it look too easy. Like, just let it go. Just play wild. I'm like, that's uh-huh. not me. Like, I practice. Yeah. yeah. I practice for it to look right. easy because right. I want it to feel easy. Yeah. But there's a certain expectation. I feel sometimes like, I don't want a solo. Like, yeah. I don't want the outro to go crazy. Why don't we just play the song? Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. When I think about the fact that for those two years in Maiden Ferguson's band, it'd be like, and now Brian Wolf. And everyone would leave the stage. I remember And I would that. play drums for like 10 minutes. Like I would, I would crawl in a hole if I heard a recording of my drum solo. Like, and I'm talking like every night for two years. And, and, um. What was your strategy? I remember, well, in, well, in, let me, let me uh-huh. make an observation. Uh-huh. I remember this distinctly because I think I opened up for the band at one gig with Curtis Johnson. Cool. I remember you never just dipping, never stepping into the show off stuff. It was always like some motifs and themes. And yeah. Always some try. sort of groove kind of building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, it, it, I think back to, back to those times, it's like trying to play something with authenticity and recognizing like, I don't have the technique and flow and chops of like, cause really it's a, the big band tradition is that. <laughs> Those, those guys, well, again, see, big band is like a wide spectrum, but I'm talking about Buddy Rich and Louis Belson and Gene Krupa or whatever. And the drummers that went through Maynard's band, Greg Bissonette. Totally. Um, and 
So trying to find my voice in it, you know, and yeah, I remember, dude, I was like nerdy, keeping notebooks, trying to like listen back to the gig recordings and get better. <laughs> and, you know, I'd have like ideas of like, okay, I could start here. And then if I could get here somehow, I'd try to leave it open because I knew that it was whack to like compose a solo. Yeah. Like that's not cool either. But it was survival because, like, I'm not that good at this. <laughs> so let me just help myself out in the beginning of being like, okay, I'll do this kind of thing and I'll let it get into this kind of thing. And this, so these three broad topics, and you just try to improvise your way from one to the next uh -huh. and have a shape. I got a little better at it over time, you know, but there's lots of ways to play a drum solo. But you're right. The average person thinks a certain thing about Buddy it. Buddy Rich or yeah. Gene Krupa or something. Yeah. Oh, and, and understand, like, like I've been blessed to work in a lot of different styles of music and there's like a huge percentage of people I've worked with is like the idea of a drum solo is absolutely ridiculous and stupid. Like that's dumb and self-indulgent. Mm. No, <laughs> you know, which is valid in their world, you know? And then there's a whole nother part of me that values that. It's like, no, this is a long tradition and mm -hmm. it's real. Mm -hmm. uh, open drum solos, form drum solos, trading do you teach it? Groove solos? Oh, yeah, man. We try. <laughs> we try to work on all these things, you know? Um, definitely with the jazz drummers in the school, it's like, yeah, we got to start learning how to trade fours, mm -hmm. trade eights, hear a melody, express yourself within the structure of a form and melody, you know? Mm. We talked about this before, that you, you play with and for the students a lot. Is that still the case? The two kits thing is huge to me. Mm-hmm. Not again, not arrogance. It's not like here, let me show you how this is done. But in a way, it's like, we'll just do it together. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, and it's, it's also like keeps, keeps it real. Mm -hmm. It's like, it puts this, it really in a good way makes me have to like live up to like anything I'm showing them. I need to be able to demonstrate it for them. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> like mm -hmm. that seems fair. <laughs> um, uh, but also we can play together. We can accompany each other. Mm -hmm. We can trade. We can, you know, you can just see it in real time, you know, and as opposed to like me standing there watching them play and talk about it. Right. And I would think you saying, hey, your, your snare drum's ahead versus just sitting down and playing and they experience it. Yeah. Is a whole different yeah. level of teaching. Totally. You know, on that topic, if I'm going to be like totally honest in my life, I've never personally been like on this groove, I'm going to play the snare drum a little bit ahead, but the hi-hat a little bit behind. Mm. I've just like for what, 30 years been just trying to play in time right. <laughs> just just put the note in time <laughs> that's it i mean i'm sure there's like little the music um gets us playing differently and you might lay this back or lay that back but i'm never consciously like because i've heard conversation about that like so you know see what Vinny does he puts the it's like if you say so yeah but he probably doesn't do like i don't purpose. hear that yeah. i hear him just playing in time <laughs> you, you know have I mean, you seen the uh the gadamans videos that steve did for his book I, I i did get the book i've been trying to go through the book a little bit but i haven't seen the videos no the videos for me were so illuminating because he plays just on a practice pad mm -hmm. with a metronome clicking in the air so you're hearing mm -hmm. how he plays against the metronome oh, wow consistently every note behind the beat the click is always clicking before he yeah. hits the, the pad that's Every cool. single time. <laughs> like, well, oh, there's the example. We talk about it like, oh, but yeah. you can't really hear it until it's a stick on a pad in a metronome. Wow. And there's the guy. And you hear it landing. Always behind. He's always 
plan. See, I mean, slightly behind. Dude, like, I've thought about this in my own life. In those notebooks I was talking about, like, when I was, like, listening to board tapes and trying to grow, mm-hmm. it's like, more than anything else, it's like, slow down, lay back, savor every subdivision, don't be ahead, wait for it. Like, that was my criticism of myself for years and mm. years. And still, when I hear it, I'm like, dang it. I thought I was landing. It's like, I'm ahead. I'm ahead. Come on, relax. You know, it's, it's heavier. And, and it's, that's, you know, wow, that's cool to hear. Yeah. That that's just naturally. I don't know what it means to me other than it was just reaffirming. Like, mm-hmm. he's in time, but he's just, he's like five milliseconds behind it oh. at all times. And it just, it just sounded so much more relaxed. Yeah. That's cool. I want to check that out. Um, yeah, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but when no. I remember watching, I was like, man, there it is. Like anyone wants to know what it means to, to play with like a fat time feel. Mm-hmm. He's doing it with rubber pad and, yeah. <laughs> and rattle mosquitoes. Totally. <laughs> I think it's just like, yeah, don't, it's, it's like the thing I was always writing, like savor every subdivision. Mm-hmm. Don't get there early. You know? Don't want to drag either, obviously. Yeah, that's the difference, right? <laughs> when do you listen too much? Uh-huh. And yeah, that's what I'm struggling with. Like like pulling back versus mm-hmm. being slightly behind. That's a totally different thing that yeah. I cannot feel in the moment. Yeah. At all. Without a metronome. Yeah. Even with a metronome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't do it. It's it's funny you say that. Like when I started teaching at the university, it was like, oh no, no, no. We we're on the metronome all the time. We're not doing a thing here, mm-hmm. you know, basically because I was like observing these deficiencies and, and it's like over time, I was like, oh wait, we got to prioritize playing without this metronome too. And that's, I'm trying to be way more conscious of that, mm-hmm. that like once, once it's up and running and it's feeling good, turn it off and just play. Right. And then turn it on and check in, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and then playing with other people, it's a whole other beast, yeah, right? With other people's how do you deal we'll get into your, your songs next, but <laughs> how do you deal with band time? Like do you do you because everyone has a different sense of where to place mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So let's well, obviously on the best situations you don't have to even think about it. It's just everyone is mm-hmm. locked. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say it's a little squirrely. Man, it's uh it's trust. <laughs> and there's so many variables, mm-hmm. you know. Um Man, I, let me, th- let me collect my thoughts for a minute. So I've been blessed to play with musicians where like everybody on stage has deep time, like incredible deep time, you know? And I've played in situations where like there's people with like terrible time. Mm-hmm. Like they can't tell that they're speeding up and slowing down. They've never addressed that. It's not a thing. You know, this thought just popped into my mind. Thinking back, I, I don't want to get too far off topic, but like, I observe, oh man, so, all you know, these different worlds of playing time, but like, singer-songwriter, that term. Mm-hmm. There was a period in, in, when I was living in New York, I was playing at the living room a lot, backing a lot of different singer-songwriters, and oftentimes, um, a, a woman with an acoustic guitar. And I observed this like, sexist thing. There was such a jive and I hated it. It's like, you know, the good old boys club of like the, the rhythm section in the back, like, you know, questioning the girl's timing. Mm-hmm. It's like, we got this, you know, and that was not my experience at all. Like I've worked with some amazing singers and songwriters who played acoustic guitar and wrote songs that way and share them with us. And it's like nobody in this room played with a better feel than them when they were playing the guitar by themselves, singing the song. They mm-hmm. wrote the song. 
It's right. com- the, the words are coming out of their mouth in a way that is so connected to it's like so for me it's all right there. Uh-huh. And and I could just see it when some of these other musicians, it was just like pure sexism or uh-huh. their own like power hungry thing of like, we got this. It's like, no, you don't really just listen. She has this. Mm-hmm. It's right there. Listen to that. Play to that. Right. And and I've had some really amazing experiences when like you observe that and, and you guide everyone else to observe that. And boom, the band takes off. It sounds feels amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's just one of the things that popped into my mind, how head games can ruin all of this people strong arm and tempos about where it's supposed to be and all that kind of stuff um at some point i mean there's a hierarchy there's the songwriter there's a band leader there's mm-hmm. a musical director um but like in terms of functionality the drums have a play a big role in this just mm-hmm. the nature of the instrument but i i've pretty early on i learned to reject the idea that like I'm the tempo guy because it's like we're the tempo people, <laughs> right? You know, it's like it's collective. It doesn't work with just like the drummer saying like, no, it's here. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, okay, but it's way more powerful when it's like the drummer has this confidence and, and it has done the work to be like, no, I know what it feels like to play in time. But then I also know how to deliver that confidently while deeply listening to you with love and humanity and making you, your part feel good against my part Mm -hmm. regardless of style all the way around the map it's just the same for me um so we were talking about this a little bit before this gabe roth from the dad kings says he never said this to me but i swear he did in some recording session where it's like you know the groove wasn't feeling great and this is a room where like everybody has great time so and he's like just say yes on the one and this idea of like coming to grips with like what's that mean you know it's like whatever the pattern is whatever the phrase is every time that one comes around awareness of it and um intent on that note with confidence you're delivering it with confidence but you're also listening to everyone else and making sure their part feels good mm-hmm. it can go too far if you're too sensitive you, nobody's holding it steady mm-hmm. but you know what i mean like th- this is why it's so heavy this mm-hmm. is why a groove when it's right feels so good that idea of actually zooming out versus mm-hmm. zooming in i think is maybe counterintuitive for a lot of people. Like mm. the, the time is squirrely. Let me extra subdivide in my head and, and be super micro right. about it versus what's the four bar phrase sound like? Yeah. Like, that's what you're talking about. Right? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, just like every time mm. that comes around, sounds simple, but like, you're just taking inventory. Are we all together here? And you can, with your body language, you can kind of, mm-hmm convey that and um you know so many modern tours now everyone's listening to a click so you don't have to do that no one's generating that you know Mm. that's why these these old masters matter to me so much yeah you know it's like back in the day if you're gonna like make a pop tour cook on stage somebody had dealt with this Mm -hmm. at some point in their life how we play as a band and make it feel great together mm-hmm. and and the hierarchy of like okay well the drums are laying it down and how do we put our parts on top of that and how does the drum how do the drum you know it, it's top down it's singer down for me if there's a singer mm-hmm. actually the old dudes like my dad's bands and those guys when i started playing like you know weddings and stuff they taught me the so it's like knowledge of the original recording so you you show up knowing like yeah i know this song i know how this goes i know where this part should feel the tempo where this feels good deliver that with confidence but then as soon as the band's moving you're listening to the singer 
and really taking inventory, like, are the words coming out of that singer's mouth comfortably? Do they feel like they're having to like struggle to make this work or is it flowing nicely and it feels great? Then, then I fine tune that. And then once that's feeling good, then like the final percentage points is like, once the band's feeling good, you look out in the audience and you find people dancing. And when you see people dancing the, in a way that seems right, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, this person gets this. They're moving. Focus on their feet for a minute. And then it just keeps expanding further and further out into the room and you're connected with them. Mm-hmm. Then it's really feeling good, you know? Which seems weird. It's like, I'm the professional. But I'm like looking to just like some couple out there dancing. But it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, there's magic. I think I've experienced like that's when it gets like even, even more deep. Yeah. It's interesting that you, 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 it's singer or band leader mm-hmm, mm-hmm. audience, not rhythm section. No. I mean, of course we got to do our job and like get it done and we're listening to each other, but like, as corny as it sounds or, or cliche, it's like we're in service to the song. Mm-hmm. I used to hear that all the time. No offense to like technical fusion players, but I would be in New York and, and like hear people who like, you know, what they really want to be doing is playing like some Aldiniola song or something. Like that's what really turns them on. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, yeah, man, I just want to like play for the song, you know? And so, and, and, and they would t- be talking to me about this because they want more gigs with like songwriters or they want to like be on a tour. Mm-hmm. with an artist and they're frustrated that they're not getting those calls and they would say these cl- cliche things they'd heard people say like yeah man I just I just want to play for the song it's like do you though? <laughs> do you really know what that means? have you really dealt with that? or are you playing simple and secretly in your mind you're like this was boring right because it shows dude <laughs> you know right. it's like it's like or do you actually like the sound of space in music? do you actually like the sound of like this singer's song? <laughs> Yeah. And how the drums serve it or whatever the saxophone players melody or, or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a song mm. you know, with words. It can be whatever, but um, just understanding your role in it. Um, the David Byrne and St. Vincent tour that I did for a year and a half. Some of those songs were on a click. Everyone has in your monitors. Everybody's listening to a click and there's something, some of that is great. It's awesome because like what it can do in terms of like consistency mm-hmm. and lack of head games, you know, mm-hmm. and it can be really cool drum machines and those types of things. And I don't mind that at all. I really enjoyed that aspect of it, but like a bunch of people on stage agreeing, not tied to the box is powerful. Yeah. That's know? a whole other level. It's a whole other level. Yeah. Dude, we got to listen to some music now. You got me inspired. Yeah. So you put together, I'm not surprised, you went and went ahead and created a playlist for us for your top 10 favorite soul tracks. Uh, well, Are let's- Are these in order of- Nope, they're chronological. Okay, chronological. But see, we were talking about this, and this gave me lots of anxiety. It's like, it's like my son who's 13, like he watches these YouTube videos like, I'm going to rank the Marvel movies. Right. Or like, these are my top 10 Cobra Kai moments. Right. You know, it's like- I'm like, just and accept it. This is you forever. You pick right, these right. 10. Please don't judge me on these. <laughs> you picked them. I wouldn't even say they're my 10, 10. They're not my top 10. They're 10 that I love. You made me pick 10. So I, I really just was like, okay, just start thinking about songs that really get me excited and still do. Mm-hmm. And then you wanted it to be like in the soul funk genre since, mm-hmm. you know, been talking a lot about jazz. I listened to the uh, deep dive into Roy Haynes with, with Throck and Tom is so good, mm. so inspiring and beautiful. These are just 10 
songs, recordings that I care about that get me excited in that genre. Some, some of it dates back to like my dad turning me on to stuff. And a lot of it's like my association with the Dap Kings. And when I started subbing for Homer and, and going on tour with them and we spent a lot of years together and, mm. and just being exposed to stuff that they were into and digging through record crates and a turntable in the back of the bus. And oh, wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> when, you know, by the time I came back and it was like bus tours, turntable in the back and 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 you know <laughs> one would go in the venue one would stay in the back of the bus some tours you know and was just it a like flintstone bus where everyone pedal yeah. into <laughs> no no just the love for vinyl you know I and and it. um yeah so so i i part of me was like oh should i it's like the 10 tunes that i think every drummer should learn how to play if they're like into this style and then that wasn't really working out for me so just like just let go and just like pick 10 that still get you excited love it and the so they're, they're like in chronological order first one you have is james brown think mm -hmm. so is there a spot where we should be starting no you can start from the beginning All right, it, it feels great i mean you were talking about uh johnny be good earlier with this sort of like half swung mm -hmm. this, this is kind of that in a way all right it's nat kendrick let's check it out I mean, we could listen to that all day, right? Yeah, yeah. It's good luck trying to make it feel like that. I've been trying forever. <laughs> I don't know if it was maybe just that particular recording. There's, mm -hmm. no, there's no crash in it, right? It's just hi hat no. kicks. Even there. it's like ba, eh, ba. like usually that'd be like crash, but it's just like hi hat, not even right. like wet hi hat. Ba, ch, <laughs> right. Ba. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Would you do that on a gig? Would you? No, I'd play the cymbal or open hi hat. Ka, psh, ka. Probably something like that. But like the feel on the hi-hat, yeah. like the accent, and the bass drum sounds, and then just the slinky subdivision. Yeah. So, so good. good. Love it. So good. Well, let's 1960. Nat's, who's on drums? Nat Kendrick. Some of these are hard to Often track down, but like forgotten. Famous Flames isn't James Brown's band. That's like the group of singers and dancers with Bobby Bird. And then it's like, but the early recordings. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's like, it's like I'm not the best uh like historian you know it's like it's like oh rhythm and blues no that's soul no that's rhythm and blues yeah. no that's like i probably rhythm and blues yeah soul i don't James know James brown somewhere in there well the second one is it's you for me yeah okay so this is on there because it was important to me to put a ballad on there okay because like that that was important part of like my times with the dap kings too like dynamic ballad playing mm -hmm. and this and i remember just being in the back of the bus at some point it's like what is that record and it's the amazers and it's like some like twin cities soul band that curtis mayfield ends up producing and and i just remember like this one jumping out at me like uh having really dynamic uh adventurous drumming on a six eight ballad that's kind of like show stopping mm. the drummer's name is uh bill lorden which i didn't really know much about him but i looked him up and he went on to be in other bands and stuff okay where we start from the beginning you you know you could get a taste of the beginning and then jump to the bridge where it gets a little more adventurous so 
Yeah, you know, it's beautiful. Um, Where's the bridge? I mean, somewhere around, uh, let's see, two minutes, something like that. You could go from two minutes to the end. I think you enjoy that. So he he starts getting a little more adventurous, more like sort of jazz waltzy, Mm. aiming for the two, one, two, three. You know, that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, I think the sound is so important to this feel too. Embracing that, like, not a super deep bass drum sound. It's a little bit mid rangey. Yes. Super cool. All right, let's go two minutes in. Yeah. Why have I never heard this before? So good. And talk about band time. Goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's got energy, but it's not feeling frantic. Mm-hmm. And when there's those long rests, bah! Two. It's just like money, you know? And they're, I don't know, maybe someone's conducting in the studio. Uh, or maybe yeah. they're, they're moving. It's like stepping was a big part of it. Like the whole band is like stepping from left to right. Mm. That solves a big part of the problem. Everyone's just moving together. Yeah. So you're not going to get there early because you still have to step left to right before you land back, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that piece of music. I remember so hearing that on the bus one time being like, what is that? Who is that? So the band is the Amazers. The Amazers, yeah. Thomas Records is the label? Yep. Bill Lorden. Crazy. What's his third one? Advice. Advice. Greg Arico, Sly and the Family Stone. I think I put this on there because it's an example of... Uh, well, the Dap King's called Charlie's one-handed 16th notes. Okay. But not just like funky drummer char- uh, 16 notes, just like they're all even like the Charlie's are kind of like the push-pull, more muscular 16th note where like there's a downstroke with the shaft of the stick and then an upstroke with the tip of the stick. Right, right. I think drummers now are probably thinking about Nate Smith when they see these like monumental, you know, where he's just like playing such a rapid tempo and it's just like a muscular 16th note or... He plays six tuplets. My, my, you know, he's mm-hmm. like on some whole robotic <laughs> bionic man. To, yeah, he's got know. those slow twitching muscles, yeah. fast twitching muscles. Yeah, I do not. I have. don't have them either. I've been. I work hard <laughs> to be able to play this stuff, and I have cheater stickings when it gets beyond my BPM range. <laughs> but uh, th- th- this is a good example. I remember, you know, just thinking about like just how it's just kind of muscular mm. and the hi hat thing, and just um, you know, rambunctious bass drum, and one of uh, Steve Jordan's favorite drummers. Yeah. It's a lot of his hi-hat stuff. I can see why. Was it start from the beginning? Oh, yeah. You can just start at the beginning. Take my advice if you want a lover. I'm not going to be your brother. Are you afraid of what you might want to do? Or is reality... I mean, 
undeniable. Yeah. There's some magic happening in there. Yeah. Like the E's and O's are like this weird clicky uh-huh. sound. I think it's shaft tip. Yeah. But it's getting such a broad sound on the downbeats. That's yeah. magic. And that again, the bass drum sound. I'm obsessed with bass drums lately. Yeah, man. He's getting so much. I'll do a little bit of that again. <laughs> gotcha. like some open and closed stuff happening mm-hmm. on yeah. the bass drum you mean? yeah on the yeah. bass drum right buried beater on some of the strokes rebound yeah. stroke on some of the notes yeah, yeah. absolutely Da-da-dum. maybe no front head i don't know craziness 67 so that's pretty cool like snares popping too mm-hmm. uh we haven't talked about your gear acrylite right oh, yeah always pretty much <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, man, not, I'm not the biggest gearhead, not because I was like, let me try every snare drum. Definitely Acrylite for me. It just works, right? <laughs> it, yeah, I just found it a long time ago, and I love it, and it's super versatile. To, you know? I mean, I, I think living in New York, another thing is like, I don't have space. I didn't have space. So I yeah. couldn't have any piece of gear that I wasn't using all the time. <laughs> right. You know, I couldn't have like superfluous or or just like a wall of snare drums. It's like... Now I can <laughs> living that here, which is dangerous. But um, yeah, sixties drums, Ludwig Club Date, yeah, you know, Acrylite. That's what I like. Yeah, um, bigger ones for like rock and pop music or whatever. Super Classic. That's the other one. Yeah, mm-hmm. that had the two ten, the two mm-hmm. plugs. Yeah, so super, Silver Sparkle Super Classic is twenty two, thirteen, sixteen, and then. Blue Sparkle, uh, 20, 12, 14. Uh, the other, the other one. So what do you, how do you pick, um, which one to use? Oh, that's a style. And, and I like, I like 12 and 14 tuned high and 13, 16 tuned low. Uh-huh. I know there's like magical places when you do not do it the other way, mm-hmm. but it's just, that's always been easier for me. And I found that. So yeah, it's kind of like, also, uh, I'm into the deep acrylite too, mm. which is not a vintage drum. It's just the new, whatever. And, and that's the one where it's like tune it really low, put a zero ring and some moon gels and get the like kind of mm. the other sound. So you have big and beefy, mm-hmm. open and tight. It's kind of yeah. your two sounds. Yeah. Yeah. And you can get a lot of mileage out of that. Mm-hmm. I found. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I have some Yamaha snare drums, modern snare drums, sound cool too. Mm. I end up using the other ones though, right? To be honest, um, which is, could be just more about me and the way I've learned to tune drums. Well, if you're listening to this, I mean, that's the sound of these records. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. I don't know what else you need. Yeah, <laughs> not, not that that's the only thing I'm into, you know, but it is. It is a big part of what makes me happy, mm-hmm. and, and for and where, where the universe led me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like somehow I ended up playing drums. With Sharon and those guys every night. For, it was like, I'll pinch myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of great drummers in this world. <laughs> Why me? How'd I end up here? <laughs> you know, and I can trace it back and, and I'm thankful for mm-hmm. that. And my time spent with those guys just like turned me on to so much stuff and affirmed so much stuff that my dad had mm-hmm. turned me on to, you know. My dad played vibes drums by the time I was old enough to understand. Really? Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, he had old drums, but he was like, you know, it's the 80s, I'm trying to be current. You know, it's like 
standard kit with like add-on toms on oh, the yeah. stand and all that. You know, he was more interested in like being current in Modern Drummer Magazine <laughs> and all that, which is cool, you know? God, what was he listening to? Chicago? I mean, what would he been, what would have been his big kit bands? I think he was just modeling after what he was seeing in the magazines, to be honest mm. with you. But you say Chicago, him and his crew, like after, you know, soul music, they, yeah, they were into horn bands. Blood, Sweat and Tears, Chicago, Tower of Power. Mm-hmm. Those were the things that turned them on, got them excited. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. Next song is Sam and Dave, May, oh, yeah. May I Baby. Yeah. This is just like a, a, a soul song that. I love. And it's like, we mentioned my dad, my dad's favorite drummer was Al Jackson Jr. And Stax was really important to him. So I think that is in the back of my mind with all of this. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's like, that's drumming, this type of drumming, mm-hmm. you know? And I love this song. Cause I just think it's a good example of like, for me, what makes a great soul drum arrangement, mm-hmm. like what he chooses to play. And I don't know that it's he, it could have been collective discussion and Booker T saying like, Let's do this here. Let's do that here. You know, um, uh, Gabe from Dab Kings talked to Booker T about this. And, and it's like, you listen to Booker T songs, they sound so simple and so like easy, mm-hmm. but they'll spend like an entire day arranging, just carving it out, getting rid of what doesn't need to be there mm-hmm. until all that's left is like the perfect, sim- most simple thing. So, you know, the, the, the bass drum pattern, there's a part at the end of the song where the band goes one, two, three, and like on the coda and like Al Jackson just plays one of those and gets back to the groove for the second one, which is cool. I think every other drum would be like, boom, boom, ah, ah, and he's like, boom, 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 like whatever, you know, just those little things get me pumped. Yeah. Um, and then also like slightly swung groove, but like straight fill, whatever, just stuff. Where do we start? Probably gets me excited. Nobody else. Listen a little bit in the beginning, then jump to the end. Okay. Simple but effective. And where is that coda? So I don't, where is the coda? Two two minutes to the end. Okay. Magic, man. Yeah. I think I'm going to try a single ply coated bass drum head again. I haven't done that in a long time. That's the vibe, dude. There's so much expression in that. Yeah. Just, like all the extra low end or not that he's able to get out of right. it. Right. Yeah. Get that from a pre-muffled head. Not in my experience, at least. So good. It's funny. You want to talk about gear? I know this is ridiculous, but like, you know, the um, fiber skin power stroke? Mm-hmm. That was my jam. 
that was my my attempt at like okay let me get this old school sound but have it be controlled enough that like sound engineers don't freak out and mm-hmm. or, or or a sound engineer with less experience dealing with a bass drum like that you know just rein it in a little bit so it's like a fiber skin material it's kind of like calfskin copy and then the muffling ring mm-hmm. kind of just like controlled his overtones a little bit and then felt strips on the front head towel rolled up between the bass drum beater bass drum pedal and the battery uh-huh, uh-huh. that that's how i have done it for years now i've got some good bass drum sounds yeah um but i still wonder exactly mm-hmm. how the, you know and and you know not being afraid of like wide open and yeah man yeah this will keep you up all night it will let's move yeah. on to the next one we've got funky bull part one Okay. Eric, Dyke and the Blazers. It's Dyke and the Blazers. Okay. So this is Gadsden. It's James Gadsden. So like Dyke and the Blazers is like a Buffalo, New York funk band. And, and, uh, and he goes out to Los Angeles and makes records with some studio musicians. But this is James Gadsden. So mm-hmm. what do I love about this? Uh, how about I don't even talk about it? Right. Just listen From to it. From the beginning? It. Sure. Yeah. heard any of these except for think and i'm embarrassed that is oh, don't be so don't listen good. oh i know i know <laughs> why have i not heard that teradiddle kind of thing happening Oof. yeah it's an endless sea Oof. that's another thing hang out that king's taught me it's like it's like it just never ends mm-hmm. you know there's so many little like secondary labels making records trying to sound like motown or stacks or high records but it's like a janky version of that <laughs> and it's killer <laughs> right. and it just goes on forever and, right. and you, there, it's an endless sea and you're always like whoa here's another one but yeah that that just again muscular it's like so what's it mean to be a soul drummer it's like i don't really know but yeah. it like, has something to do with like uh, you know, repetition, obviously, and uh, just like delivery. Mm-hmm. M- mean it. <laughs> yeah, he's hidden. Yeah, mean what you're playing. You and know? it's like the ride is like way under. It's that's an interesting mix too. I'm gonna play just a chunk of it again. Yeah, there's a, a short like one bar drum break, a little bit further than that. You have to go further than uh, like 120. Okay, let's go right there then. A little bit before 120 to get you break, I guess. Thick. 
I don't think of Gatson as being a hard hitter. I know. I know. It's just something else. There's extra, like, the power of it. Uh huh. I don't know if it's is it volume. Maybe he was just smashing them. It doesn't sound like it, though. It's, it's like a, it's a subdivision thing, too. Like, really trying to straighten out the 16th notes hard. Yeah. You know? It was just counterintuitive. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't, that was another thing. It's like, I remember, like, the very first day I rehearsed with them. Homer's there, too. Like, the drummer who I'm going to be filling in for. Everybody's gathered around the kit. Like mm. everybody micromanaged it, you know. It's like, oh, okay, wow. Homer, you play the beat. Okay, cool. All right, Brian, you play the beat. It's like, no, no, no. Play, make your hi hat a little bit. Nope. Little <laughs> bit. Oh, turn your snares a little bit more. Oh wait, no, no, a little bit. Yeah, there. You know, everybody. You know, and it'd be like, okay, How do you remember all that though. Like each each groove, it's like yeah. that's totally different than yeah. Use Me or anything. <laughs> but on the topic of straight sixteenths, I remember being like, boom, and they'd be like, no, 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 don't, don't swing the fill. I was like, what? I didn't. I was, I was like, pa, pa, boom, yeah, but don't swing it. It's like what? <laughs> I didn't, did I? Did I swing it? Shoot, I didn't mean to. Like, no, it's like, boom. And I'd be like, that's what I said. Pop, pop, boom. I'm like, no, 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 you're swinging it. I'm like, I don't think I am. It's like having bad breath and not realizing you do, I guess, like, so, like compared to that. There's too much swing in it. Like, get the swing out. Like, play like, you know, whatever. The other thing he's doing is, is the a two and a four in the left hand. It's in the pattern of like the 16th note before, right before the back beat. That's, mm-hmm. that's a thing. That's a cool. Heavy. That's a master class. Let's get through the next that's a good few one. here. Uh, Edwin Starr. Yeah. 25 miles. Yeah. I don't know this one. This is, once you hear it, be like, oh yeah, I know this one. Probably. Okay. Um, it's essentially a Motown tune. It's on Gordy, like one of those like subsidiary labels, I guess. Mm. Uh, Uriel Jones, not Benny Benjamin. Mm-hmm. Cause it's later. It's like 69. From the beginning? Yeah. Heavy, but not as muscular. Right. So totally different worlds, mm-hmm. but related. Yes. I love that one. That's just so the good. riff and like, yeah, hotness. <laughs> so good. All right, let's go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's my thing. Mm-hmm. Marvel Whitney. I don't know this one. Yeah. Okay. So uh, James Brown produced other artists, female artists, singers. Mm-hmm. So this is Marvel Whitney and it's basically James Brown's band and James Brown producing. Mm-hmm. It's Clyde Stubblefield. And, uh, but like the way the drums are recorded on this are a little bit weird. I don't, maybe you, your ears can be like, oh, I see what's going on there. Cause I can't really tell. Mm. But like the way the, the rim shot backbeat affects the microphones versus the way the ghost notes. Mm. It's, and it's very dry, dead snare. But, the, but it's what I love about it is the drum break. Mm, okay. Maybe we'll just do it and then we can nerd out on it. So like, uh, the drum break is like, you could go 122 to 222 if that's okay. not annoying. <laughs> 122 to 222. One twenty. You'll get the gist. It's 120. 
Is that Clyde you can hear grunting, do you think? Maybe. It makes me feel less bad about my own grunting. <laughs> so Which good. has killed takes before. Oh, really? Like, that was good, except the fact that you're grunting the whole time, can Brian. You Could you please stop doing that? <laughs> it's like, was I doing that? I didn't even realize. It's like, <laughs> yes, here, listen to the overheads. It's like, <laughs> the whole time, like, oh, God, I didn't even know I was doing that. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> Yeah. That's so good. It sounds, I have no idea what's going on, but it sounds like maybe the room channel was hard panned. So you're mm-hmm, getting this weird, like mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a bit of a center hi-hat, but then a far left yeah, hi-hat as well. Something like that. I, I love that it's quarter note hi-hat, all that stuff. And then you got the super high rim shot lift and then the super low ghost notes. But then also like when you get syncopated in the top, the bass room goes boom. So it's like the bass drum plays like eighth notes. Mm. Like this is just like steady kind of straightness on the bottom and then all the syncopation on the top. And it's like you add it all up and it's just like magic. And I've heard that song a million times. It's not that version. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. That's like a, an answer track or whatever they would call those, you know, or, or a rewrite of the Isley Brothers. Uh-huh. Like, you know, just like there's another one on my list. The last one is kind of like that. But Let's do uh, the next one. Yeah. Betty so Harris. Th- these next two, to be honest with you, are kind of like my Mount Everest's. You know what I mean? Just mm. in terms of like these recordings that I heard, I was like, how is, are they doing that on mm. the drums? You mm-hmm. know, for me, what I'm into. I mean, there's a lot, everybody's got their examples of this stuff, but like this particular vocabulary, this kind of stuff. So this is, this is, um, Betty Harris. So now we're getting into New Orleans. These next two tracks are New Orleans soul tracks. From the beginning? Yeah. And I will tell you this, that like the, there's, discrepancies about whether this is Zig from the meters on drums or James Black on drums. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I listened to it. It definitely sounds like Zig to me. And I actually did ask Stanton Moore once. And he, if I recall, he said, yes, I've spoken to this person, that person. And yeah, that's Zig. Um, I was blessed to play this song with Mar, with, um, Betty Harris. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, like late, in her, you know, like, you know, it's like, again, one of those sort of like tribute shows where like, we you know, were doing like three or four songs with different soul artists or whatever. Mm-hmm. I asked her and she couldn't quite remember if I recall, like I didn't get a definitive answer from her. Mm-hmm. And I did my best impersonation of this song. Cause like, I can't, when I found out we were doing this, I was like, oh my God, I can't play this song with her. Like I couldn't, I didn't even want to do it. Cause like, <laughs> I, I care so much about this piece. Um, I don't know how to tell you where to listen to this from. Okay. So you can just stop it wherever. Yeah. What is happening? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That's what I'm saying. It's just like, I, I can't take I mean, it. I can't even take it. Do you it. think they were like, all right, Zig. Dude. Just go. I've thought about it. I've thought about it. Like, like, did they do some takes and just like, boom, spook, spook, spook. they're like, yeah, what if you just go berserk the whole time? Or did you do he, one where you just go berserk? <laughs> or did he just come in like fire? I, I, I would love to know. I also, when I hear that, it sounds to me like if they did four takes, they're all like just different. He's just, he's just spitting so much righteous stuff. I hear the New Orleans like, vocabulary in there mm-hmm. like the idea of like growing up here and like bass drummers and snare drummers improvising and because because i went deep man i transcribed that whole thing once mm. like i you know just like headphones slow speed what did he just play he, that's what he played like that i've done that to that piece and it's crazy and it's just const like just constantly new ideas new orchestrations coming out but it's all tied to you know there's an a section and b section the a section he's just kind of like how many different ways can I freak the skeletal structure? <laughs> which is they lay that out in the first two bars. Like, here's the game we're gonna play. We're gonna go. Now go berserk. Express yourself. How many different ways can you just flip it around and different combinations? And he's doing it. And then the B section is he's just to, to my ears, he's playing the vocal. Because uh, there's a break in I got mine. You get yours. He's just like sort of playing at those phrases and just orchestrating them uh, in the moment with all that sick stuff. Please put on headphones and listen to the whole thing sometime. Yeah. Because like it goes, each one is more adventurous. And it's all behind a vocalist. And it feels great. That's the <laughs> thing when it's like, you know, don't play too much. Got to serve the song. It's like, well, there's lots of ways to do that. Yeah. You know, Um that's magical. It really is. It feels amazing. <clears throat> it really feels incredible. Um, I love it so much. I love it too much. <laughs> I'm glad you picked that one. Holy smokes. You should listen Harris. the whole thing sometime. It's it's really great. The track is There's a Break in the Road. There's yeah. a Break in the Road. All right. Yeah. The next one is Eddie Bow Hook and Sling. Yep. This is James Black. Mm. The other sort of like, you know, legendary New Orleans funk drummer. All right. Start from the beginning. Yeah. I'm overwhelmed with because we kind of talked about it uh-huh. early on and before. They just love each other so much that they they can do no wrong. You can hear it. Yeah. Like the band is just yeah. having so much fun playing with each other. 
I mean, My maybe God. they're mad at each other, but I, I don't know. I don't think so. Because I think it even, you can kind of hear maybe the tempo, it, once the, the mm-hmm. band, it's like, whoa, well, then it yeah. just falls into another pocket. Yeah. But it's just magic. You listen to each other and you, you make it happen. And you trust the drummer, too. Mm. And also, it's like somebody's playing tambourine, someone's going, so like, you know, somebody's holding a fort Yeah, yeah. in that sense. You know, that's very African idea. You know, that there's like some instrument that's playing this simple, repetitive thing mm-hmm. and all this syncopation is built around it, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that one too. It's just, you know, and I guess these are breaking the rules of like, um, you know, play the groove. Just stick to the groove, man. Make it feel good. It's like both of these examples are like drummers going berserk. Right. But it's a certain kind <laughs> of language within, the you know, the, the structure. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think it's clearly defined. Like, yeah. you're supposed to be the featured item. Yes, right yes. And, and and you don't just play anything. There's a certain language that they're using. And, yeah. And that's what I get excited about with this stuff. Well, let's know? wrap it up with yeah. Vicky Anderson. Yeah, so this is John Starks, Jabo. I'm One. too tough for Mr. Big Stuff. Yeah, uh, a sort of like response record to, you know, the tune Mr. Big Stuff. So mm-hmm. this is like the JB's, you know, the, the other famous James Brown drummer, John Starks. From the beginning? Such a different sound too. Yeah, darker, mm-hmm. deeper. The snare mm-hmm. is really tight and close mic'd or something. It's a mm-hmm. totally different sound. Yeah, lots of ways to get at it. Mm. I love on that track. At some point, she says, "In St. Louis, they they ruining it, but they think they're doing it." <laughs> <laughs> she also says Pittsburgh at the end, which oh, I yeah. always get pumped anytime someone says like Pittsburgh. Well, dude. <clears throat> we went we went long, but I think it was the way it's supposed to be. Um, Sorry about you. that. We're gonna we're gonna include this link to this playlist in the show, so anyone who wants to hear the whole <laughs> the whole thing, we're gonna make it available. Oh, cool! Yeah, check it out. Super cool. That's um, awesome. Uh-huh. Mike, thank you for I, you know I love what you're doing here, and I respect you so much, and I'm just honored that you would want to talk to me about drums. Thank yeah, you. thank you. We'll do it again. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Brian Wolf. If you do like the show, please give us a five-star rating and drop a review on wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's YouTube or Spotify or Apple, wherever it is that helps get this show into the ears of more drummers around the world. Again, the playlist that we went through will be linked in the YouTube video of this show. Um, hopefully there's some things in there you've never heard before, or maybe you're hearing them with fresh ears and getting inspired just to jam along with those records. I know that's what I'm going to be doing for the next few weeks. So until then, have a good one. See you next time.